Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. And I'm excited to have Andrew D'Souza, who's the founder of ClearBank, which is the fastest, most affordable way for founders to fund their businesses. ClearBank invests anywhere from $10,000 to $10 million in thousands of companies using data science to identify high growth funding opportunities in less than 24 hours. ClearBank's portfolio spans businesses across the United States, Canada, and UK to some of the fastest growing consumer brands today, like uh, Less Asleep and Public Goods. Andrew is an alumni of University of Waterloo. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks, Rohit. Great to, great to be here. Thanks for including me. Awesome. So, uh, you know, you uh, uh, have had a great journey. You were born in India, then you went to uh, US and then Canada. How did you get into, into this place world of startups and what led you to build ClearBank? Yeah, uh, it was it was a bit of a random walk, a bit of a random journey. So yeah, I was I was born in India. Um, my family's from Goa. I was born in Bandra and uh, in Bombay, and um, moved to Chicago uh, during the Michael Jordan years. For anybody who's watching the the uh, the Last Dance show, and and then moved to Canada when I started school and studied engineering at the University of Waterloo. Um, I thought I was going to build and design cars. That was my my passion uh, growing up, and then realized that. Uh, that uh, auto, the auto manufacturing industry was not as, as uh, exciting as I thought it was going to be. So I spent a couple of years after graduating with McKinsey in, in management consulting. And, you know, I think I really missed, uh, I missed building. I love the strategy component of, of consulting, but I actually missed the accountability and the, you know, the hands-on work of, of building. And so after that, I was looking at, you know, leaving Toronto, there wasn't much of a startup ecosystem and I was going to move to Silicon Valley and I got connected to someone, maybe many of your, uh, your viewers know a guy named uh, Chamath Palataptia. Yeah. And uh, he was leading growth at Facebook at the time. He was originally Canadian. He was a few years ahead of me at, at Waterloo uh, and was leaving to start his fund called Social Capital. And so moved out to San Francisco and I ended up joining one of his very first portfolio companies. And it was a company called Top Prospect. And it was in the recruiting space, just not, you know, built on top of the LinkedIn and Facebook APIs to help companies identify and attract better talent for their, their growing businesses. And you know, it was an exciting time in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, it was one of the first seed investments out of Andreessen Horowitz. Um, Jeff Clavier and, and uh, SoftTech were all investors. And you got to meet a lot of, a lot of exciting people um, at Stuart when he was starting before it became Slack. It was sort of tiny spec. It was a you know, uh, mobile game. Um, met uh, Kevin and Mike when they were building Bourbon, which turned into Instagram. And these were all sort of early Andreessen Horowitz uh, portfolio companies. But probably the biggest realization for me was many of the entrepreneurs and the founders that I met in Silicon Valley were no different than the people back home um, in Canada out of out of Waterloo that were building companies, other than the fact that. They didn't have access to capital and they didn't have access to the media attention and sort of the, the profile that many Silicon Valley investors, uh, investors had. And so a big part of my mission was, you know, how do we, how do we democratize that and how do we level the playing field a little bit? Interesting. And, uh, you know, you've been uh, a serial entrepreneur, you've started, uh, you know, businesses before uh, ClearBank. Uh, does it, does it help to, you know, uh, get into the startup world in, uh, after your uh, after your graduation. You know, working in in a big company for some time and then get into startups. Or, or do you think 
you know, uh, it, it does not uh, really matter if you get your hands dirty in a, in a smaller, you know, scrappy startup uh, beforehand. Yeah, you know, I think in some ways, I think my time at McKinsey almost was a hindrance because, you know, paints you as a risk averse sort of overly analytical person. And so, you know, when I, when I uh, moved down to San Francisco, I would tell people, you know, that I was, I was a Waterloo engineer before I was a McKinsey consultant. <laughs> and that was like, uh, you know, that was what got me some street cred. So I, uh, you know, I don't know if, if big company experience is that valuable anymore. I think, uh, I think if you can take a meaningful role uh, at a high growth company and, and your career can accelerate alongside it, I, I think one of, the, one of the biggest things is if you're energized by the work that you do every day, you're going to do better work, which means your career is going to advance faster. And that is almost, you know, that's almost more powerful than anything else uh, is finding, finding a role and an opportunity and an environment and a team and a mission that, that really gets you energized and gets, gets the best out of you. And, uh, and then just continuing to look for more and more opportunities, whether it's within that company or, or to do your own thing or, or, or at another company. Um, but being open to, to you know, opportunities that the world throws at you and continuing to sort of heat seek and find that perfect match for your skills and your passion, your energy within you know, the companies and the opportunities that are, that are in front of you. Got it. And uh, you know, uh, I read that around 50 to 80% of you know, ad spends are, are getting into, into Facebook and Google, uh, Google ads, that's so consumer facing startups. Oh, why, is, why is that being the case? And you know, how's ClearBank trying to, uh, trying to help our founders so that uh, you know, they're not able to liquidate most of their stake uh, into, into, uh, you know, spending ads on these platforms. Yeah. Well, look, I think this is one of the biggest things that I, I realized. So, so, um, after working at top prospect at this company with Chamath, um, you know, I, I joined a couple of other early stage companies and part of my job, because I'd spent some time in Silicon Valley was to help them raise capital. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was leading sales and marketing and, and, and then also spending at least like probably half my time fundraising. And I think what, what I realized was, you know, the, the uses of capital are just as important as the sources of capital. So if you're investing in R&D and you're hiring a team of engineers and data scientists, or you're investing in product development that you're not sure if it's going to work, you don't know if it'll take one year or five years before that investment will actually, you know, bear any fruit, then okay. equity is a great financial instrument for, for those uses of capital. So if you don't, if you're not sure about your business model, you're not sure if you found product market fit, you're not sure about your unit economics, equity is actually the right, you know, that's where you want to be spending your equity. But in recent years, what's happened is people, equity investors have realized that they can get a better risk adjusted return by just funding repeatable growth, right? It's easier for me to keep funding more and more salespeople um, or funding more and more ad spend um, than it is for me to fund R and D, which is hard to, hard to uh, quantify the risk associated with in the return. And so, that's where I think a lot of entrepreneurs get screwed is they give up more as they, as they get more and more successful, they give up more and more ownership and control of their company to fund their growth. And, uh, and that's really the problem we're trying to solve at ClearBank is if you're spending so much of your, your budget on repeatable activities, you know, buying inventory, shipping, advertising, sales, you know, infrastructure, if you're a B2B company, you're spending on AWS and, you know, Salesforce licenses and, and things like that. Um, 
equity starts to feel like a very expensive financial instrument. And so we've designed a, an instrument that's more um, well-suited to these, these companies where we basically say, we'll give you, you know, $100,000 or a million dollars and you give us five or 10% of your sales until you give us that amount, our initial investment plus a flat fee. Um, and, and that gives the entrepreneur a lot more optionality, maintains, you know, their ownership and their control um, and, and allows us to continue to fund them um, as much as they need to, to achieve their, their objectives. All right. And you know, what metrics are important for you to, you know, process loans to uh, startup founders in the D2C space? Yeah. I mean, it's all of the, it's the, it's the unit economics. We sort of look at um, return on ad spend or CAC to LTV repurchase rates, return rates, um, you know, how saturated their, their markets are getting. And if they, if they can actually increase their, their marketing budget without, uh, without, you know, seeing, um, without seeing, seeing degradation of their return on ad spend. And then, uh, and then we benchmark. So we really, have, we understand, you know, is this a top 10% company or is this a bottom 25% company in these categories? And that helps us assess, um, you know, the viability of the business. And it also says, you know, what is, we try and use data to identify product market fit, right? So, so our customers continuing to buy this product over others in the category. Um, and, uh, and so it's, we try to make the process as simple as possible for the founder. So it's literally just connecting your online accounts and we can adjust all of this data. And then our systems will process the data uh, instantly and, and produce, um, you know, a risk profile and a revenue profile of that company. Um, so it's really about, you know, all the online, online accounts, your e-commerce platform, your, your, uh, your uh, payment processor, your ad accounts, um, we're looking at your bank transaction data and your, uh, and your accounting data as well. Um, and continuing to add additional sources of data to give us a new, new lenses and new, new uh, views on, on the viability of these businesses. Right. And, and the whole process takes, uh, takes 24 hours for you to, to, uh, to decide whether, you know, and that, uh, company gets the funding or not. Yeah. And it's often, I mean, it's often instant, um, you know, some of the larger companies with a lot of transaction data that we have to process, uh, it can take a bit longer, but yeah, usually, you know, within minutes we can make a decision and then execute the documents and fund, uh, you know, within 24 hours. It's, uh, that's, that's our ambition. Got it. And, uh, you know, other than Facebook and Google ads, uh, which has really helped a lot of e-commerce companies to, to ramp up their sales, what are the distribution channels should D2C brands look at when they're looking to build their businesses? Because, uh, or because PR or content marketing, uh, does uh, take time, uh, even though they create assets, but do you think there are other distribution channels, which are also coming up, uh, for D2C brands? Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways of answering that, right? So one is, one is the channel that your customer, you know, that you find your customer and what does the customer journey look like? And then the second is the sort of what's the platform you transact on. And, and these things are starting to merge. I mean, we saw, we saw the Facebook announcement where Facebook is now, you know, basically creating a storefront where you can transact on platform. Right. Amazon, for example, is, you know, it's been a marketplace. Now they've got a massive ads business. So you can, you know, spend on discovery as well as transact on platform. And, you know, if, if Amazon is any indication, I think the Facebook, uh, shopping experience is going to be a much, uh, much improved conversion rates just because it's all happening in platform. So I think it's important for companies, especially as you start to get to scale to be omni-channel, ideally on both, right? You want to be wherever customers are shopping, you want your products available, whether that's Amazon or Walmart or direct or Facebook or eBay or whatever. Um, and, and then, and then you want to 
figure out the right media mix. And this is one of the things that we're really starting to invest in is what is the optimal media mix for a company um, in a certain category of a certain scale, right? So should they be spending, you know, 40% on Facebook and 20% on Google? How much of it should be on Pinterest? How much of it should be, um, you know, increasingly we're starting to see, you know, TV or radio or direct mail being an important component of that. Uh, and so, so that's another, um, you know, on the, on the, the paid sort of media mix. And then, yeah, PR, SEO, these things can be really powerful. They do, they are long-term investments and they work for certain types of products. Um, they typically have to be like, you know, you have to have a unique story about your product or about your founding story um, for that to work well, but it can be incredibly powerful, incredibly um, efficient if you can get those right and get those loops going. And then word of mouth, uh, you know, getting, getting the, you know, for better word, lack of a better word, influencer channels working well, but it feeling, you know, organic and authentic rather than pay for post. Um, and, and spammy can, can also be really effective. We've seen that work well, and we've seen it not work well if it's not, if it's not done well. Got it. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, do you think VC investing is, is happening only in the most important hubs and cities in the world since you were in, in San Francisco and, uh, and also in India, you know, in places like Bangalore, Delhi and Bombay is where, uh, where most of the VC funding is happening. But, but do you think in future uh, you'll have, uh, because of, of the remote culture and the work from home culture, uh, do you think more important companies would come from, uh, from smaller, uh, you know, uh, places or, or places which are not the super hubs? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, this is a big part of our mission, right? Is, is to tilt the balance, you know, in favor of the founder of the entrepreneur, wherever they are. And I think in a lot of ways, um, sorry, the, the, the people with capital have always decided what got built, right? And so, and how it got built. And so if you had access to that capital based on where you went to school or who your you know, uncle is, or, you know, what you look like, um, or where you can get to easily, then you had an advantage in building your company and achieving sort of your ambitions and your, your, your dreams and, and creating what you want in the world. I think um, that, you know, our, our goal has always been to, to, to shift that balance of power and say, you know, the people with the ideas, the people that are putting in their blood, sweat and tears that are actually trying to build something, those should be the people who decide what gets, gets built and capital for, you know, is really a commodity, right? right. And you're just capitalizing that company to, to achieve something, um, you know, like we can democratize that. And so that's our goal. And so I think, you know, especially in this, this new world where more people are going to be working remotely, collaborating remotely, um, you know, we feel uh, we, we're, I mean, we're excited about the opportunity that innovation is going to be much more distributed um, and capital is going to have to become much more distributed. And so if you have to go and get on a plane and meet somebody in person to, to secure an investment, um, you know, those investors are just not going to be successful in this new world. And so, um, you know, we've never had that, that part of our interaction. We've always done everything remotely and, uh, and we're just starting to accelerate that. Interesting. And, and, and do you think the VC model is up for, for disruption, uh, not only in e-commerce field, but in other, other uh, industries as well? A hundred percent. Look, I mean, I think VCs provide a couple of, a couple of things, right? They provide true risk capital, uh, and that is at the very early stages or at key inflection points of a company, right? Where it is, I am making a very uncertain investment in, in something specific. And the upside of that investment is, is massive, but the downside is also unlimited, right? Or the downside is you know, the loss of the entire investment. And, that, and, and venture capital is designed for that risk profile. 
and and then VC provides signal, right? I think that's you know they they provide okay. a signal to the rest of the world that you know this is a viable company and not a scam or you know in most cases um, they've done some diligence. And beyond that, you know, I think a lot of the very few uh, there are very few investors who who make good on the promise of uh, of value add, right? Whether it's network, whether it's operational expertise, I think there are many more investors that that destroy value um, with sort of meddling and over-involvement um, and, and sort of, uh, you know, disempowering founders than there are the ones that are truly, but there's a very small, uh, small segment and fortunate to know some, some investors who, who fit into that, who, who are value add, but I would say the, the number who are value destructive with their involvement are actually more than the value add. And so if you think about breaking down risk capital and signal, um, you know, there's, there is way too much venture capital or growth equity or whatever they, you know, whatever term it is um, right. for the actual amount of R&D investment that's going in, or it's not, it's misallocated. And so I think there's going to be a, a structural shift in the way that, you know, hopefully we'll see much more venture capital go into things like, you know, curing diseases, right. And space travel and climate change and, you know, massive artificial intelligence for, um, to move humanity forward and much fewer go into Facebook ads and, you know, recurring sales and, and things like that. Uh, I think that would be a great, great outcome for the world. Got it. And, and, and you know, uh, uh, do you also find businesses which are on e-commerce platforms like, like Amazon and eBay? Uh, 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 the problem with such marketplaces is uh, that, you know, uh, the owner doesn't own the, the customer. But, but do you also look at such sort of models where, uh, you know, uh, it's a distribution channel for the, uh, for the e-commerce owner to, to sell their products. Certainly. Yeah. So we will look at, we'll look at products sold on Amazon or eBay or Walmart or, or wherever else. Uh, and, you know, we've got to understand that there is some, some inherent risk uh, associated with it, but then there's also some benefits of, you know, if you, if you're doing well on those channels, more likely than not, you will continue to, to find, you know, you'll, you will faster find organic discovery on, on your product. And if your product is well-rated and well-reviewed and, and has a high purchase rate, it'll show up more often. And so there are, there are benefits and, you know, there are costs and benefits on, on those channels. This is why, the, this is why we, we really like, and we recommend that every company, as soon as they're, they're able to, uh, and it's not too big of a distraction, try and try and get to omni-channel because you're going to have some subset of customers who prefer to purchase on Amazon because they have Amazon prime and they trust products on Amazon. And you have some subset of customers who prefer to purchase direct um, because they think they're getting a better price or better service, or they like the brand. And you're going to find people that discover you on both and want to transact on the other. And so I think omni-channel is almost certainly um, the future for any consumer brand and consumer product. And, uh, and so, yeah, we certainly take that into account. Got it. And, uh, you know, we, we also have a lot of listeners from, from going, growing economies like, like India and Brazil and, you know, a lot of other growth, uh, growing, uh, uh, economies. Do you also look at such sort of markets to, uh, to scale up operations or, or are you only focusing on businesses, uh, in uh, United States, Canada, and UK? Yeah, no, we are, uh, look, I think one of our big objectives this year is, is international. Right. And, uh, and our plan is to be in as many countries as possible. There's, uh, you know, there's some structural things and there's some ways of going to market and there's ways of moving money and things like that, that we have to navigate in each, each market that we enter. But yeah, a hundred percent. Look, I think as difficult as it is for entrepreneurs in Canada and the U S to raise capital, it's, 
you know, probably 10 times harder everywhere else in the world. And right. if we really want to fulfill our mission, we have to be able to make that, um, we have to be able to make that as easy as it, you know, regardless of where you, where you are. Right. And, and, uh, uh, do you, do you have any, uh, you know, structure on how, how do you enter a new market or, uh, you know, uh, is most of your team based out of Canada who looks at international expansion and operations, uh, in, in that country itself? Yeah. So our team is all, all, almost all based in Canada. We've got a couple of people in the U S right. uh, so our team is all based in Canada, but we serve the world from, from our Canadian uh, headquarters. Now, again, like in this kind of new world, doesn't mean that we couldn't hire people remotely to help us enter new markets and, and, uh, and execute. But, um, but yeah, there's, you know, we, we have a, um, we've sort of gone down the world from a country attractiveness standpoint, where we can enter and um, what, we, what it would take and, you know, currency risk. And there's a bunch of other, there's a bunch of interesting dynamics in terms of e-commerce penetration and startup formation and, um, you know, existing venture capital ecosystem and, and things that, that we pay attention to. So, we are, you know, we've got sort of a checklist that we, we work through um, and then we run through, uh, you know, we run through that and we identify the markets that we think are most attractive. And then we sort of go down. We don't want to get too distracted by doing the whole world at once. Um, but uh, we try and go country by country. And, you know, the other interesting thing is many of, you know, there's many countries that there are many companies where they operate out of, you know, India or Israel or, you know, other, other places, but they're actually incorporated in the U S and we can work with those companies immediately. Uh, and so we also, we have a lot of those companies as well. They operate somewhere else, they sell somewhere else, but their incorporation is, is in the U S and we can use that, um, that, you know, headquarters to, to transact with the company. Right. And, and Andrew, you, you've raised uh, around $300 million uh, in, in last two years and you've, grown phenomenally in, in last uh, couple of years. Uh, uh, you know, why did you want to raise uh, uh, such a huge amount? And what, what are the growth plans for, for Claybank uh, going ahead? Yeah, I think, I think at the, you know, at the highest level, it is, you know, help, how do we tip the balance of power in favor of founders and how do we help founders win, right? This is sort of the, the, the driving mission of the company. Um, right. We want to do that by capitalizing those companies efficiently and helping them spend their capital as efficiently as possible. And, and you know, in order to, to, to create value for those businesses and those, those founders and those customers. And so, you know, I think in order to do that, there's a, there's a pretty heavy lift in, um, you know, one, you know, there's a component of our capital, which is, you know, the vast majority of our capital is actually just deployed to our founders. And we're gonna to continue to raise, raise those, that, that capital. Um, and our goal is to be, you know, basically the biggest investor globally. And I think we're already the largest in e-commerce uh, in terms of number of number of companies funded and probably approaching dollar figure. Um, but uh, but our goal is just to be the largest you know largest investor period, um, fund the most number of founders, and and uh, and continue to scale it. And then I think a big big investment that we've made is is in the data science side. And so being able to actually ingest all of this data process it, make sense of, of that, build a forecast for the company from the, from the outside in um, and give them the right amount of capital at the right time um, and then move the money and be able to, to kind of deploy the capital, get it back. Um, so there's a lot of infrastructure, there's a lot of data science and now starting to make some meaningful investments and in actually helping them decide where, you know, where best to spend the money. And so that's what I'd alluded to earlier is, you know, things like media mix and how fast to spend the money and which channels and, you know, over what period of time. So, um, you know, I think those are, those are the questions that every entrepreneur 
you know, thinks about, they often go to their board, their board have a limited sample size. Um, we have a much larger sample size to, to draw from uh, to, to be able to help them make those decisions specific to their business. Got it. And, uh, you know, you mentioned in, in a mission statement that you're building a company for founders by founders. Uh, so I wanted to understand, you know, what sort of a culture uh, uh, goes into building a company like ClearBank? Are you, uh, uh, do you look, what, what sort of an employee fits into ClearBank and, uh, you know, who can service uh, uh, founders and make uh, ClearBank, uh, you know, a, a, a big unicorn company? Yeah, I, you know, we, we hire mostly founders or former founders, people that have been through the, the challenges of launching a product, uh, fundraising often, and um, either had success or failure in, in that process. And, and so I think when you talk to somebody at ClearBank on the investment team, you're talking to somebody who's sort of li lived in those shoes. And I think, um, and then, you know, that goes for our product managers, that goes for our designers, that goes for our, you know, engineers and data scientists as well. So it's a very entrepreneurial culture. Um, it means that, uh, yeah, it means that, that people, we really understand the customer incredibly well. And we really, everybody in the company top to bottom believes in the mission and the objectives. Interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I had to talk about the COVID, uh, uh, you know, uh, pandemic, which is, which has happened all over the world. Uh, how, how's, uh, has, it, has it really affected ClayBank's business and, uh, you know, how, how is remote work uh, working for you guys? Yeah, I think. So there's a couple of a couple of things that have happened, right? One, you know, we've certainly seen the outcomes of the companies we've we've funded um, change. There's there's some companies that are unfortunately negatively affected if they're highly correlated with travel and live events. But the vast majority of our businesses have stayed relatively stable or increased demand because you know e-commerce uh, as a category has gone up, and and so there's a lot more people buying products online. And so um, the other thing is. There are many more companies that are looking to scale up, but other sources of capital have dried up. The banks have pulled their credit lines. Um, their existing investors are not, you know, investing more, or it's harder to raise. You know, rounds get rounds fall through if they've been raising equity, and so I think uh, all that that is to say that there's more demand uh, for for new companies to partner with ClearBank. We're just sort of uh, scaling up to to meet that demand, and then for us, you know, for me personally and for our company. Because we've been a very entrepreneurial company, we have been a very in-person culture, right? We, we, there's an energy in our office um, that is very infectious. And so that's been difficult to replicate remotely. I think that's probably the thing that I miss the most is, right. is energy. Um, we've tried, to, do, we've tried to, to, to approximate it as much as possible. We do daily all hands and um, you know, uh, Zoom calls with the whole company and, um, you know, try, and try and replicate it. But, and I think the team has, has really stepped up. Um, but it's certainly not, you know, it's certainly something that I miss from, uh, from, from our time in the office. Right. And, and, and it's difficult to predict what's going to happen, but do you think it's like a V shape or a U shape sort of a, a recovery or, you know, when do you, when do you think, you know, uh, things across the world are going to, are going to get normal? I, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I, I've, I've been following, I've been talking to, to experts, listening to experts and, and trying to, trying to understand you know, how it's, what it's going to look like. I think every economy is going to look different based on, you know, how, how aggressive they are um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, locking down and, and enforcing quarantines and restrictions. And, uh, and then the recoveries are going to look very different. I think there's going to be some who are willing to take, you know, a bigger burden on their healthcare system. 
um, and, and a larger infection rate for faster economic recovery or, or hopeful faster economic recovery. Um, and that is a gamble that some governments are willing to, willing to make uh, and some, some governments are not. And, uh, and it's really hard to know, uh, you know how we're going to shake out of it. But I think the real challenge is, you know, with such an interconnected global economy, um, as soon as things start to open back up, you know, we're going to, we will likely see uh, a second wave and, and it, it may be a global second wave. So um, hopefully we'll learn to, to work in this new reality for a period of time, but um, you know, it's not, uh, yeah, there's no, I don't think, that, I don't think anybody who, who can actually paint the future, uh, you know, really, really has, can do that with any confidence. Exactly. And uh, uh, so Andrea, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Yeah, one of, probably my favorite is Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, you know, read that a few years ago, try to read it at least once a year and, uh, and have, have tried to do, uh, tried to live by as many of those in, in life and, and implement as many of those things as we can, in, in, you know, in the business. Yeah, a great book. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you started working on ClearBank, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? You know, I think, you know, not knowing what we know now, I probably would have set us, set us up for the ability to work remote earlier. So better documentation around decisions, more, more support for asynchronous collaboration. You know, we had to do that sort of on the fly and I don't know if we've still got it right. Uh, so I think, you know, getting ahead of that and, and being able to support would have, would have probably set us up, you know, in a better, better position now. Right. And, and do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Yeah, I love, uh, I love superhuman. Um, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're just Rahul is a, is a friend. We share a few investors and, um, use the product. It's made me incredibly, incredibly uh, efficient in, in processing email. And, uh, I've always like, loved, and I love their onboarding experience. I think they've, they've just executed the business incredibly well. Got it. And uh, uh, yeah, Andrew, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about ClearBank, especially for founders who would want to reach out for funding? Yeah. So uh, I'm just Andrew D'Souza. Twitter. Um, you can just uh, you can just message us at uh, you know online clearbank.com, um, and it'll be it'll be fast. You can email me, but it's it's going to be I, I probably won't get back to you as fast as as uh, our team if you just uh, sign up online at, at clearbank.com. So. Um, yeah, just, uh, I'm at, I'm Andrew at ClearBank, but, but find me on LinkedIn, um, Andrew D'Souza, find me on Twitter and, uh, and, and yeah, find us at clearbank.com. Sure. Thanks. Uh, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, thank you, Andrew, for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed your thoughtful insights. Thank you. Great to, uh, great to connect and appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.